So what are some of the lessons learned when it comes to preparing school districts for electric school bus infrastructure? We'll delve into that a little later, so stay tuned. Welcome to our 60th episode of The Route, our school bus fleet content series. Uh, if you stick around, we're going to share some recent uh, headline news from schoolbusfleet.com. I'm Wes Platt, Executive Editor. Before we get to it, please click like on this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You'll find links to those social media channels in the details of this video. Okay, let's get rolling. Our first stop is Lansdale, Pennsylvania, in the headquarters of the National School Transportation Association. A few weeks back, NSTA hosted its midwinter meeting in San Diego, California. The association's executive director, Kurt Mackison, took some time to talk about the event, and here's what he had to say. All right, so hey, I am very privileged to have back on the route Kurt Mackison from the National School Transportation Association, and you're just a couple of weeks out from uh, having held the midwinter uh, meeting. Uh, I wanted to catch up and kind of get a sense, first of all, how, how was attendance this year? Oh, attendance was great. Uh, we actually uh, bested our previous numbers, and, and that really goes back to 2020 mm -hmm. uh, because we haven't had... Um, a real midwinter meeting in a, in a few years. But uh, yeah, we had over 120 folks who made the trek out to San Diego and had a great conference and a lot of positive feedback, a lot of great energy and engagement from the attendees. So all around, we're very pleased uh, with, you know, with the program and honestly looking forward to our next live event. Yeah. Um, what are some of the highlights uh, from the midwinter meeting? Yeah, it was great. We had a, uh, a fabulous uh, safety presentation by Michelle Atwell uh, from National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Um, she talked about a number of things, in including, you know, how we can uh, uh, bolster the Stop for School Buses Act um, and get a lot of uh, programs and data um, that's so important to what we do. Um, and I'm just very pleased that our continued partnership with NHTSA and um, looking forward to actually increasing engagement with them over, you know, the next year, two years, three years, five years, such an important part of what we do. And it's in our DNA, Wes, as you know, right. um, but we also had uh, a program that talked about uh, uh, cameras uh, with that program. We brought up the MIGS Tennessee bus crash um, that had uh, NTSB recommendations to our organization about uh, uh, usage of cameras um, and how they can help with student management as well. So that was a great program. We had um, you know, some great expert presenters um, on that as well. As you know, the conversation around electric school buses continues. And mm -hmm. so we had a a really good panel session with our OEM partners talking about, you know, the bus itself, but that's only one half of the equation. The other half is infrastructure and engagement with uh, our electric utilities. And so we had that piece of the equation and, and we're starting to get some more operational experience with electric school bus, because as you know, with 1% of the, the uh, fleet out there being electric previously, we didn't have a whole lot of operational experience to know what to um, expect, know what the 
the you know the issues were and now we're starting to get that so with this mm -hmm. first go round of the EPA uh, clean school bus money the billion dollars we'll get more operational experience and we'll get better at at uh, you know understanding uh, what the cadence is in in terms of developing a whole ecosystem around electric school buses yeah, I was interested. There was a, a World Resources Institute and um, the Center for Transportation and the Environment uh, came out with a report the other day that was kind of like they did these uh, sort of planning, technical planning for three school districts, uh, primarily the ones that are in more disadvantaged areas. Right. Um, and they each district is different. Right. But each of the each of these differences presented some common uh, lessons that they seem like they could apply further, like the types of chargers that you need, uh, like how you deal with field trip routes, that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, it does. It seems like now that we're kind of getting our, our hands dirty with this technology and really starting to see how it gets on the ground, you can start understanding more and planning better. Uh, and, and I think be a little more informed and uh, a little less confused going in. So yeah, it seems good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, it's really developing a cadence around yep. what are the things that should come first? What do we have to wait for? You know, what's the uh, life cycle of, of engaging with the utility? When's it too soon? When's it too late? So, yeah, a whole host of questions we're beginning to get some answers to. Excellent. Um, so, you know, you said you were looking ahead to the next event. What is uh, on the horizon for NSTA right now? Yeah, so there are two things that I want to mention. We're doing a Capitol Hill bus in uh, uh, this year. We did have one last year. Unfortunately, the way the the uh, the rules were set up, there wasn't really an ability to visit um, the offices of, of individual mm -hmm. members like we've had in the past. But we did go to Washington, D.C., and we did have a great meeting with um, some individual agency partners that we have, as well as a couple of... Uh, uh, awards that we gave out to individual members of Congress. We just couldn't do that on a wholesale basis like we, we normally do. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to return, um, you know, with the new leadership in the House of Representatives. The House is going to be open. Uh, we're going to go to Capitol Hill April 26th and 27th. And, you know, we're developing our uh, priorities to go meet with the members of Congress. And it should be a a great opportunity to engage with policymakers in, in DC. So we're really looking forward to that. And then in July uh, 16th through 19th, we're gonna be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for our annual meeting and convention. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff planned. Um, I think we're gonna do some electric school bus ride-alongs. Um, mm -hmm. If everything goes great, we're gonna have a networking event at the Pirates game. Oh, uh, nice. Play the Giants on, on Sunday. And uh, hopefully, if we can, fingers crossed, West, that we can get um, all, all, you know, all the various pieces aligned. Maybe we can get some school buses to take us over to the Pirates game, electric school buses, which would be really cool. Yeah, no doubt. Well, excellent. It sounds like a lot uh, is coming down the pipeline. Uh, I didn't want to get away without uh, touching on uh, the uh, clean school bus program changes that were made as a result of NSTA's efforts. Uh, how do you feel about that? How is the organization looking ahead to the next phase of the Clean School Bus Program? Yeah, funny you mention it. We're going to have a meeting with EPA next week to discuss round two. Uh, one concern that we did have was this initial application period was May to August, which in in 
the cadence of the school year isn't great because we had a number of applicants who had transitioned from say one superintendent mm-hmm. to another and now they have a whole they have a an approved application with the new superintendent who doesn't he or she doesn't even know about it um so we, we tried to uh, express that to EPA to say, you know, that pocket, that application window pocket is important uh, when we look at the program. So hopefully um, round two, we'll have a, a better, um, you know, three month cycle for us to get applications in. Um, to, to your point about the, the major changes that we got through the on the bus bill at the end of last year, uh, one is uh, direct contractor access to grants. Mm-hmm. The way it was, not that contractors or school bus contractors were ineligible. They just had to apply through the school district or through the OEM or through the dealer network. Well, through the OEM or dealer network just locks you in to, you know, one company in terms of who you're buying the bus, um, you know, with. So, so there was obvious challenge there going through the school district, just added a, a layer I mean, we talked about how uh, incredibly complicated this is to begin with, and adding that extra layer of complication certainly doesn't make it any easier. So I think you'll see more contractors uh, involved, given the fact that they can control their own destiny through applying for these funds directly. Sounds good. Well, Kurt, thank you again for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the other events coming up this year. Uh, School Bus Fleet will certainly be ready to cover them when they happen. Um, take care and we'll see you next time. Nope. Thanks so much, Wes. And thanks again to Kurt for taking that time. I really appreciate it. All right. Our next stop is West Jefferson Hills School District in Pennsylvania, where Durham School Services donated a Bluebird school bus that's going to be renovated and designed with help from Thomas Jefferson High School students into a mobile chill room slash maker space. The project's expected to help give kids innovative ways to manage stress and anxiety. Said Janet Sarden, the local school district superintendent, we're excited for this unique opportunity to create a mobile showroom makerspace for our elementary school students and community. This bus will positively impact our students since it will provide them with a more accessible means to seek out support. It seems like a great project that has the potential to help a lot of young people. What do you think? Share your thoughts in the comments. Okay, our next stop is Boston, Massachusetts, where Mayor Michelle Wu welcomed the first two electric school buses to Boston Public Schools as the district begins transforming its fleet to zero emission vehicles. 18 more electric buses are due in the coming weeks. Said Mayor Wu, I'm grateful to the many people who have been instrumental in getting Boston to this point and helping us demonstrate the many overlapping benefits of moving to a green economy and ensuring that our kids and our workforce are at the center of that transition. Today is one of many steps we're taking to make Boston a Green New Deal city and to move with the urgency that our communities and residents deserve. From cutting down on emissions from every part of our education infrastructure, where our students learn and how they get to class, to preparing our next generation of workers to build and sustain cleaner, greener infrastructure for all of us. We're so excited where this will lead Boston. Is your school making the transition from diesel to zero emission? How's that going so far? Let us know in the comments.
Now, if you are thinking about making the jump to electric school buses, it might help to hear some of the lessons learned so far by the Center for Transportation and the Environment and the World Resource Institute's Electric School Bus Initiative. They chose three United States school districts to help evaluate operational needs and set up detailed implementation plans. The districts were in Yakima, Washington, uh, Redding, Pennsylvania, and the Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma. Here are four common findings from the different evaluations. First, most districts probably don't need shared 50 kilowatt DC fast chargers. Sharing one such charger across two buses didn't seem much faster than two separate 19 kilowatt level two AC chargers, but the single DC fast charger proved more expensive to buy, install, and manage. Second, level two AC chargers seem fine for covering most bus routes. Exceptions exist, and some fleets have routes requiring larger batteries or high power midday charging. Rural fleets and fleets consisting mostly of type A school buses could expect greater challenges with longer routes and smaller batteries. Third, extracurricular uh, field trip routes might be too long for a single level two charge given range limitations of current electric school bus technology. That might require midday charging or DC fast charging, and that would call for more infrastructure, utility investments, and skilled technicians. Fourth, don't be thrown off by the difference between projected costs and construction estimates when it comes to charging infrastructure. The CTE and ESBI found that cost estimates from design-build firms can be much higher than earlier, uh, higher than earlier projections. Engaging with a design-build firm early in the process can help get a more concrete estimate in place when you're seeking funding. Uh, School Bus Fleet will let you know when we get a few more insights uh, as they continue to explore and work with school districts to see what works. All right, it's time to park the bus for now. Thank you for watching. Here's a shout out to uh, Twitter follower, Steve Gardner. Tell your friends about the route. If you've got news, reach out to me at west.platt.bobbit.com. Tweet us at School Bus Fleet, and please sign up for our twice-weekly newsletter at schoolbusfleet.com. Drive safely, and we'll see you next time on the route.